You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me this week are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We are the editors of Manufacturing.net and Industrial Equipment News and have more than 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we cover the five biggest stories in manufacturing and the implications they have on the industry going forward. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube at IEN Magazine to get a notification whenever we go live. Anna, we're going to switch up the format a little bit this week because uh, we had a we had an abbreviated slash no week last week. We had a truncated week. So uh, instead of the five biggest stories, we're covering the three biggest stories. Yeah. Still big stories, still, though. Still big deal. So, yeah. yep, get ready. <laughs> but, uh, Jeff, it's important to stress that, you know, they're, you know it's not going to be less. It's going to be more. It's going to be equal. You know, we're not shorting anybody here. We're not shorting anybody. But on that intro, either I checked out super hard last week or you said that incredibly fast. Oh. I'm not sure which one it was. Oh, I don't know. I like, I just kind of go blank and then okay. uh, wait for like my various friends <clears throat> who listen to it to be like, ooh, rough week on the podcast, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't had to be up before 830 in a while, so oh. I'm moving a little slow today. I, I said know. that on purpose because I know you both have small children. Yeah, I know. Like uh, on our like, third meal by 830. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing about uh, having the week off is that especially with two young kids and, and I know you have three, so I can't even really, I have nothing to stand on, but it's almost harder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I was looking forward to come back to the office and be like, Oh, just a little witty banter and quiet moments. <laughs> I can't wait for it. <laughs> but we're happy to be happy to be back. Nonetheless. All right. Now, before we get started with our three most popular stories this week, We have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eater's household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. And we're back. And before we get rolling, just a reminder that you can click the link below and get a sample from our sponsor, Oil Eater. Okay, our first story this week. Tesla's sales drop amid supply chain and pandemic problems. Sales from April through June fell to Tesla's lowest quarterly level since fall 2021. Supply chain issues and Chinese pandemic restrictions have hobbled EV production for the car maker. On Saturday, the company said it sold more than 254,000 cars and SUVs during that period. It's an 18% drop from the first quarter and well below Q4 2021. The last time Tesla sold fewer vehicles globally was in Q3 last year, when it delivered 241,000 or about 13,000 less than the most recent numbers. The company remains the top seller of battery-powered vehicles. But Jeff, 
Is this a sign that, you know, it's Q2 earnings might be weaker than expected? Probably. But when you look at it, I think this is overblown a little bit because it is Tesla. Mm -hmm. They're still better than the industry average when you look at where the industry was and where they were in terms of how this all kind of played out. And I looked at some things historically. In 2020, the company made 509,000 vehicles. They delivered just under 500,000 of those. Mm -hmm. That's a discrepancy on an annual basis that most automakers would see on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you start jumping ahead, 2021, they made 930,000 vehicles. They actually delivered 936,000. Okay. Q1 and Q2 are very similar. They made 305,000 vehicles in quarter one of 2022. They delivered Mm 310,000. So my point with all this, and I guess when you get to the last quarter here, second quarter of 2022, there is a little bit more of a discrepancy in that they made about 4,000 more vehicles than they sold. But again, all of this shows me that they're really in line with what their projections are. Mm. What they're making, they're selling. So they're still extremely profitable. Mm -hmm. They don't have a lot of the overages of some of the other OEs that we can see out there that have run in in the past, have run into huge issues with overproduction, cuts into margins. They start selling vehicles for below sticker price, and they get into a lot of trouble that way. Mm -hmm. Tesla Mm -hmm. isn't dealing with that. So some of the drops in like their sales, their um, uh, their stock price and some of the other scrutiny that they're getting, I think it's a little unwarranted. Mm-hmm. I think it's still from a financial perspective, still performing extremely well. They're just dealing with some of the other problems that everybody else is dealing with. And it's at a different scale. So I think what is going to be interesting is how Tesla, especially their leadership, mm-hmm. responds to some of these dynamics as they get bigger they're going to be confronted with more so the same supply chain issues that the other OEs are already dealing with. Yeah. That's the interesting part of this. Mm-hmm. Not so much the drop in sales. Was it they were down 18 and everybody else was 21 or was it the other way around? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were down 18. They were down 18. Everybody else was down 21%. So they're a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Again, this is, I think, is more of a bigger picture thing. How does Musk, how does Tesla respond to this stuff as opposed to just slashing workforce potentially, which is what he's talked about. Right. And Talking about the stock price, and I was kind of surprised the impact that the Twitter deal had on uh, the stock price in particular. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't uh, so much the numbers that were shaking that up is that, you know, maybe people were thinking Musk has got too much on his plate now. Yeah, I thought the timing of this was a little interesting um, because this article that we ran and, of course, many others have been blaming the decline of Tesla's stock price on more than just a tepid market and supply chain concerns. Um, A lot of analysts, and perhaps rightfully so, um, indicate what you just said that Elon Musk maybe has enough to do Mm -hmm. between his multiple executive and board positions um, to be like monkeying around with buying Twitter. So. For this tough quarter to coincide with this Twitter circus, like that's not great timing, in (laughs) my opinion. Um, Now that he's announced that he will not go through with the deal, I think the expectation was that Tesla's stock would see a bump. Mm. And it hasn't so far. And maybe that's because um, Twitter's saying they're going to go after him for this billion dollar poison pill that supposedly he's entitled or they're entitled to because he's pulling out of the deal. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know that that's going to be a lawsuit probably. Um, But You know, maybe it's also because Tesla's Q1, where they kind of blew projections out of the water, maybe that was the outlier. You know, maybe that maybe that's not to be expected every time Um, they're contending with the same challenges as every other automaker. And they're betting a lot more on China these days. And we know that China's COVID problems um, are impacting certain markets like a little bit later than they were impacting those same markets in North America. So maybe analysts want to see some proof that 2022 for Tesla is going to be 
more Q1 than Q2 um, <laughs> or how they're going to get around this by some magic. Because initially they were like they were putting out crazy numbers when the other automakers were like, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. because So at some point there has to be a gap. And I think maybe that's right. where we're seeing it now. Uh, maybe they were just like a little bit ahead of it. And um, so I don't know. I don't I don't. I saw also in the article that Tesla is saying that they that they're actually already improving, that they produce more vehicles in June of this year than any other month in their history. However, they then declined to disclose that number of vehicles yeah. that they manufactured, which is a classic Tesla. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really hard to know at this point, like what to expect. Um, I do agree with you guys. I think Q2, we, we should expect that they're going to post a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's the year or if, if things will improve or not. It's hard to know. So did the Twitter deal fall through just because it looked like it had, was having such a detrimental effect on Tesla? No. No? No way. Um <laughs> No, I am. I'm a hundred percent confident that he overbid, and then when the stock market tanked, and he realized that he was in way over his head yeah. from a financial standpoint. Um, I mean, it wasn't worth that anymore. So anyone yeah. would be like, "Oh God, this is not a good deal," you know. So Twitter hasn't made money in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had a couple of good years, but it's been down in terms of earnings for quite a while. Yeah. So I think that definitely, I agree with you, and I think he just looked at it and said, and realized, wait a minute. This, this is too not much. a good yeah. situation. He's going to lose a lot of his own personal wealth yeah. in trying to to see that through. No, I agree. And uh, honestly, I also think that there's a part of it where with even with a billion dollar poison pill that he would have paid that to get under the hood of Twitter a little bit to try and see right. what was really going on there. But I mean, that's that's a different story. Um, so I also found it interesting. You talk about the Tesla getting more involved in uh, Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Uh they're also, you know, they're really doubling down in Germany as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pausing production in Germany right now for two weeks to upgrade the factory, actually starting today. And they're going to add a shift to start producing electric motors there rather than bringing them in from Shanghai. Um, however, one big issue with that is that at their current level, they were already having issues with staffing. Uh, a lot of it is with the union there. But um, I mean, it just seems interesting that we already can't get enough people Let's add a shift, you know, (laughs) maybe it'll be lights out. Um, And the company, uh, I think you said that the company has experienced record high sales of Chinese made vehicles in June. Uh, It's kind of interesting that Tesla also had its highest monthly output at its Shanghai plant in June, which Musk, if you remember, he was pushing for after those COVID lockdowns kind of messed with production. When he had everyone sleep at the plant. Yeah. Well, no, he was just stressing that maybe their work ethic wasn't there because they wouldn't sleep at the plant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's he reasonable. sleeps at the plant. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, he should. still had time to get his picture taken with the Pope. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you see that? So, oh, yeah. He tweeted Twitter, about it. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Our second most popular story this week chip shortage leaves 95,000 GM vehicles unfinished and in storage. Supply chain problems have led General Motors to build 95,000 vehicles without certain components. Most of the incomplete vehicles were built last month, and GM hopes to have them finished and sold before the end of the year. Still, the vehicles equal about 16% of GM's total sales from April through June. GM says North American production has been relatively stable since Q3 last year, but short-term part disruptions are ongoing. GM said, quote, 
We are actively working with our suppliers to resolve issues as they arrive to meet pent-up customer demand for our vehicles. And a pent-up customer demand seems like an understatement. New vehicles on dealer lots in the U.S. have been limited to about 1 million vehicles, and it's normally about 4 million. Mm-hmm. So is pent-up just a bit of an understatement? Yeah, we we have a ways to go here in realizing, I think, um, <clears throat> I think it's easy to look at the automotive industry's problems in the context of the domestic market um, where there's still so much demand mm-hmm. um, and manufacturers can just increase prices and still sell what they have. Um, I think there's this feeling... Uh, kind of, I think the direction you were going just now that with disc- with discrete goods that you will always make up for this kind of thing down the road because it's a need that persists. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw that automakers were very profitable in 2021, <laughs> so much so that Automotive News calculated that although the revenue of 10 major car makers saw just a modest increase over 2020, that their net profit almost quadrupled wow. in 2021. Yeah, that's that's good. Right. So as we talk about this crisis for automotive, mm-hmm. <laughs> like while 95,000 vehicles sounds like a massive hold for GM, the company is still making billions in profits. Mm-hmm. Um, where things are actually a bit shaky is China, <laughs> where the pandemic shutdowns are having a bigger impact, you know, than um, than they were last year. Uh, GM revealed that its volumes in China declined 36 percent year over year with double digit drops in all five GM brands. So that's GM's real problem right now Mm -hmm. because China is such a growth market for them. And there's, um, you know, it's just something that's going to have to work itself out, I guess. The chip shortage, like, of course, it's having an impact on North America. We know that. But where that's being felt most, I think, is when consumers have to pay more for their vehicles and when auto workers get laid off because of stoppages. Like auto companies are figuring out their business. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to feel bad for GM for holding on to 95,000 vehicles right now, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, Jeff, I was sorry that on the week that I missed a couple of weeks ago, you brought up the gung ho reference, <laughs> but man, if there was a story that made me think about it, it was this one. It was wasted right. on Andy and I, we were yeah. just like, well, no. uh, well, you gotta, you gotta YouTube that. That's a oh, classic. Well, it was, you know, okay. When I was listening to the episode and you brought it up, I'm like, man, I have fond memories of that movie and maybe I don't want to revisit it because it's just <laughs> like, I'm not sure if that's one that ages well, but. You know, it's that scene. That scene does. Yeah. Okay. Everything else, probably not. Yeah. We're the guys, uh, or the one uh, where the guy, uh, where the woman hits the guy with her cart, (laughs) and he smashes her eggs, and she yells, "You're my eggs!" And he yells, "Your eggs!" Sorry, that's just so good. That is comedy gold. Um, No, but uh, this story in particular, because they're just like, you know what? Let's make a hundred thousand cars. With whatever we have and just kind of throw them in that lot over there until we get the parts back. Maybe a little more complicated than that. But <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think I think we're actually kind of seeing a new norm for U.S. automotive manufacturing. Uh, looking at some different numbers here, sort of compiling from a couple of different places. Kelly Blue Books, Statista.com. When we look at the average selling price for a vehicle in the U.S., okay, across the board, mm-hmm. new vehicles. When we look at 2016, 17, and 18, Amongst those three years, we started in 2016 at the average price at about 34400 By 2016, or excuse me, by 2018, that was only up to 35600 It's like 1200 bucks. Mm-hmm. From 2019 to 2021, we started at $36,800. we are up to $42,300 by the end of the year last year. Wow. And now we're getting up to like $47,000 for the average price of a new vehicle. 
Now, a lot of that is economically driven by inflation and supply chain and all that. And some of that will ease. But I think this has really wised automakers up a little bit in terms of what they can do. They yeah. no longer have to produce this many vehicles if they can get these types of margins yep. on yep. the vehicles. Why in the world would they go back to what they were doing before? So I think we are going to see some of these inventory levels. They're not going to be shortages anymore. This is just how we do it. Mm-hmm. And when you look at these 95,000 vehicles specifically, now if we look year over year, in 2022, month to month, the increases have leveled out. It's yep. not as dramatic as was as what it was for a while. But when we look year over year, say June to June, the difference in those new vehicle prices is still like six thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Mm-hmm. So if GM sits on these vehicles for a couple of months, yeah, it's ninety five thousand vehicles. If they can sell them for twelve hundred dollars more down mm-hmm. the line, we're talking over a hundred million dollars mm-hmm. in yeah, difference. That's true. They've already paid for them. Whatever mm-hmm. their fixed costs were for creating and producing those vehicles. What it's going to cost to slap those chips in and then sell them for a higher level just because of inflation and other economic factors, they're sitting pretty. Yeah. So I don't think they're in a big hurry to get this fixed. They want to get it right because there is a sweet spot. Like Anna alluded to, there's markets that are underserved right now that they want to get to and take advantage of. But we're never going to see the same levels on dealer lots like we have in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a breaking point where – or? Are they just going to stress this curve in terms of the average price until there is a breaking point? Are they just going to continue to push it higher and higher, you know, with these, you know, uh, shortages? I think they'll push it. What's really going to be dependent on how far they can go with it is the used car market. Yeah. When those inventory levels start to replenish and there's sort of an internal competition between Mm -hmm. the used and the new. But right now, for what you are paying for a used vehicle, it's almost worth, if you can... To yeah. kind of bite the bullet and finance a higher priced vehicle because it is new and it does come with warranties and you don't have to worry about the other things. Mm-hmm. When you're spending how much it is for a used car with triple digits in terms of miles, yeah, and then you get a new one where all that stuff is covered, you don't have to worry about it, and the financing is there, that makes it a lot more appealing, even though you are paying so much more than you did just a couple of years ago. Yeah. So I think once that market comes back and there is a used car market that has reasonably priced vehicles and good value, I think that's when the automakers are really going to have to look at what makes sense here. How far can we really push this without losing our customers and just turning people off completely to mm-hmm. new cars? So GM predicted that it would make $2.3 billion to $2.6 billion before taxes in the second quarter. But Anna, analysts estimated that it, they were going to be at $3.97 billion. Mm-hmm. So- I mean, is that just poor analyst predictions or is that just a sign of how bad things might be for GM right now? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I mean, it's just so like how these analysts can possibly predict what the profitability will be for an automaker when this chip shortage and like all those COVID shutdowns in China that lasted much longer than they thought they would. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how are they making that estimate? I have no idea. Um, I don't think that's a necessarily fair because I, you know, they get a lot of these these products and these supplies from overseas, and there was nothing anybody could do about that. Well, I think they're trying to put, try to you know, put a rosier picture sort of on what's going on too. Mm-hmm. Not only are prices higher, margins are better, which obviously that's what's helping drive these record-setting profits. Yeah, but they're also laying people off, so they're not paying. Right. I mean, yeah. labor mm-hmm. costs are down. They're not buying as much stuff because they can't. So all of those procurement costs are also down. So there's a lot of negative elements associated with being able to achieve those record-setting revenues and profits. 
Mm-hmm. that they don't want to talk about. For sure. And I think and that's I, where the analysts are helping them a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And I think like to your point or earlier, you know, what is the new normal going to look like? I think even once things start to loosen up a little bit, we will see more manufacturers selling direct because they don't have to. Mm-hmm. I, I think that yeah. they will still rely on a dealer network in some ways, but they know now that customers will wait, they will pay more and they will go without some of the choice options if they have to. Mm-hmm. So if, if that means that they can sell on an online model some of their cars, they will do that because that's you know more cost effective for them. I would agree that the online, the e-commerce part of it is definitely going to be more appealing and more the way to go. I still think that dealership connection, though, is going to be vital. I mm-hmm. think that they will maintain it. I think that they will. It will erode. I think that they're, as far as a percentage of their sales, if they know Ooh. that they can sell from a website, they will do so. Why not? Well, that's where Tesla's got a lot of issues, though, right now. Because mm-hmm. they, do, they are not allowed to sell like through dealerships in some of those states. And it creates a lot of supply chain issues and also creates service issues yeah. longer term. I mean, that's where a big part of revenues for dealerships actually comes from previously. Now, we're in a new era because they're selling vehicles for more than what's actually on the sticker price, which mm-hmm. is weird. Whoever mm-hmm. would have thought that would happen. Yeah, that's great. But eventually, we'll, we'll get back to a point where there are discounts for vehicles. And that MSRP, you'll actually buy it for maybe at it or a little less mm-hmm. because they know you'll be coming there for service. And that's mm-hmm. that's what's going to comprise more than half of the revenue for those dealerships. I agree with you in terms of like the, the typical car dealer salesperson. Their role is going to be more like, hey, let's sit at the computer and pick out what you want mm-hmm. and go that way and facilitate. So maybe there's fewer dealerships, mm-hmm. but I think that role is mm-hmm. going to become, is, it will always be just as important just in terms of picking stuff out, having a place where you can take it in service and pick it up and all that stuff. Yeah, maybe not erode, but transform to, and you've seen the service departments on these dealerships, just, you know, they used to be a small part of it and now they're almost the same size as a showroom, if not significantly larger. Um, I could see that, especially given uh, their footprint, because to Jeff's point, one of Tesla's biggest issues is uh, service not being as convenient for people if they're pretty far away from people that service the car. Um, And I think maybe those existing dealerships, while they won't have as many cars on the lot, you know, uh, it's important to maintain that footprint to have service so close to their customers. Oh, I agree. I agree on the service. But if you look at some of the comments that like Ford CEO, for example, has made in recent months, like it sounds like their plan is to do less dealership selling. And that I don't think that that takes away from the service side of it um, or the warranty, you know, those being certified dealers or whatever, continue to do that part of the business. I think they will. What else will they do? Go away. Mm-hmm. So um, I just think we might see less of it. That's just my prediction. Well, there's definitely going to be lower inventory. It's definitely going to be more made to order type stuff. All right. Well, let's move on to our most popular story last week. A feel good story, if you will, kind of, depending on where you land on it. Um, A man sets the record for longest tenure at a company. All right, guess how long you think it is right now. Just get a number in your head. In April, Walter Orthman was recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records. As of January 6th, 2022, Orthman worked at Renovview for 84 years in nine days. He's now 100 years old. His first day at the Brazilian textile company was on January 17th, 1932. He was a 15-year-old shipping assistant. He has lived through huge changes in manufacturing. For example, when he started, looms would weave fabrics at about 20 to 50 meters per day. 
Now, there are machines that do 400 to 600 meters of the same fabric. He has held positions in sales and management and has seen the world around him change many times. His key to a successful career, he says it's adaptability. He credits a calm life and daily exercise for his ability to travel to the office every day. And Jeff, his favorite place in the world is the office. Well, you were just saying before, you see oh, it as sort of a reprieve. Yeah. You know? Oh, David, um, this guy is you. He's yeah. 100 years old and he still has little kids. Living a, <laughs> man. Living a calm life, David. Just well, Think about this. His wife is actually 69 years old and he helps like take care of her. His wife is 69. He's been working there longer than his wife has been alive. Yeah. How weird is that? That is dedication. They actually, did you see this too? He was offered, or he actually retired in 1978. It was like mandatory because he had been there. He was only like 50 whatever years old, but he had been there for 40 years. So it's mm-hmm. like, hey, man, I think it's time to hang it up. Yeah. It lasted a day because <laughs> apparently the guy is so good in terms of sales and customer relations that they needed him mm-hmm. back. Yeah. So the man can sell um, and he likes to work out and it's working for him. I mean, he's he's got a family. He obviously seems very happy and very content. It's it's pretty cool. It's not me. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I mean, I ain't going to be here that long, but <clears throat> good for him. We will be a hundred years old in doing this podcast, Jeff. Just you will, <laughs> you will, my friend. Right? Do we still do? Does it go out on the internet or <laughs> right on? It goes into their brains. No. Jeff, did you have your insurer before the podcast? <laughs> Jeff gets a I, little woozy without his insurer. I said, I'm not going to be here. Oh, just, just in so the office. Just, in the just, office, you can't just keep throwing yeah. out. I'm not going to be here. Yeah, it's not going to be in the office. Um. Anna, I thought this was kind of a feel-good story, but it also made me think of, you know, some of the longer tenured people in the industry. Because we've been hearing it a lot in the industry Mm -hmm. where uh, people are retiring and being hired back uh, because they can't live without them. Mm -hmm. Um, It made me think of this one guy uh, when I worked in the manufacturing industry. His name was Boyd. And the same thing, he had already retired like twice. And uh, I thought he was towards the end of his career when I worked there in college. And I just recently heard, like, he was still there. It's like, man, Boyd is still at that, you know, he's still he's still making chips, I guess. Take a break, Boyd. But, uh, no, I just, uh, I, th- I found this to be, a, you know, an interesting story uh, relevant to our industry. And something, I mean, while we maybe won't see 84 years in nine days, uh, we're seeing people stay at their desks or in their roles a lot longer now. Um, yeah, I, at first I thought this was not a feel good story. I thought it was a feel bad story when I saw the headline, um, cause it made me feel <laughs> sad. Like that poor man. Yes, I know. He has to work. Like, why is this happening to this poor man? He's 100 years old. Uh, but it sounds like he's the kind of person who really thrives in a work environment. And, and you know that like they have all these studies out there about how if you retire and you don't have like a passion project or you don't have a schedule or a plan that like retirement can actually be like kind of bleak for some people because they're just, that's not how they operate. You know, it's just too much downtime. Mm -hmm. So obviously you got to do what works for you. This again, not going to be me, but. (laughs) Oh, come on. David. It's just you, man. Yeah. Ah. Just, just talking into a mic that might or might, might not be unplugged. Me with like two quadrizennials. No. What do you kids do these days for fun? <laughs> Not talking to you, old man. <laughs> this podcast really slaps. <laughs> David, we'll be here. Hey, do you guys think this is dope? 
<laughs> All right. Yeah, but you'll have to be here, Eric. <clears throat> no, I won't be no. alone, Jeff. I won't be alone. Okay. That's what it means. Uh, Anna, this bleak outlook yes, you talked about. Yes, okay. So, uh, you know. You were talking about how people die after they retire. No, then. <laughs> I just meant that you have to do, you have to do what works for you, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously we know this is like much more the exception than the rule. <clears throat> I, I recently read a Bloomberg article that contends that people um, and companies actually do best if um, their talent leaves like every 10 years oh, or really? so because it kind of addresses like malaise issues um, and allows you to kind of increase your skill set and your contact pool <clears throat> by just making an abrupt career change, which I don't think a lot of people do. Mm. Um, at the same time, the article said that research shows that your environment, everything from friends to geopolitical events that are happening at that time can really affect your feelings about your career. So it's important to understand What's motivating your dissatisfaction if you have it, right? Mm. Now, having said all that, like we've all got, I think, pretty decent tenure with our team here, not the same companies per se, but like spinoffs over the years where our group has really tried to stay together. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we suffered for it, though. I think that we could have if we hadn't continued to hire talent from outside, because I do think that bringing in other perspectives and other talents and um, other ideas is like the way to kind of keep things fresh. Mm -hmm. But um, get new ideas and. Get get some new ideas yeah. in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, so I, I guess, you know, congratulations to this man who seems actually very well adjusted and happy for doing this. Mm-hmm. I would be out of there like at least 40 years earlier. But <laughs> you love champagne, too. He does. <laughs> yeah. If you so haven't you can, seen. Yeah. You can keep drinking champagne and be live to be 100. That's I, no problem. I think it's all about this, you know, calm life and daily, daily exercise. exercise yeah. And then he some, meditates a lot. Yeah. So he kind of yeah. lets it. Let's it all go. David, you may be in trouble there. I need, I need like to change. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, kind of just on the same point, Anna, uh, I think it stresses the importance of working for a good company and a profession that, you know, uh, keeps you going. Um, I, I know that I've mentioned it before, but just talking to people where once they make a career change or even the same career with a new company and they realize like, oh, wait, no. I can enjoy going to work every day. Right. Like, I just, I guess I'm uh, surprised by the number of people that have that, uh, what do they call it? There's, it's always on social media every Sunday, like the Sunday dread or whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, if you have that, you shouldn't tweet about it. You should make a more significant You change. should do something else with yeah. your time, like look yeah. for a new job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't want it all to be bleak just after you retire. Well, but, and like they say now that like people, these younger generations are putting more emphasis on like, do they believe in what their company is doing? Like, do right. they buy into like what, what's happening there and are they making a difference and stuff? And I, I feel like those of us in like a little bit older generation sometimes want to roll our eyes at that a little bit because you think like, oh, you get a job and you go to work and you just get it done. You don't have to love it every day. You just got to get it done. You're supporting your family, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But maybe there are benefits to finding something where you fit well and you feel um, satisfied, like you're doing something um, positive for the world. Maybe that does help with uh, consistency and longevity with a company. I don't know. I absolutely think I'd agree with that. Yeah. I think what was interesting too is this guy was a traveling salesman until he was ninety four. Oof. No, like we know these guys. We see these guys at trade shows. It yeah. can be kind of. It can take its toll. Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. was not only obviously very healthy, but thriving enough that they kept him on board and doing it. So. I mean, talk about. I mean, what does his Rolodex look like? <laughs> you know, and it probably is. A Rolodex. Yeah. It is not uh, Microsoft Outlook contacts or something. Travels with it and just this huge, these cards rolling around. Um, 
I liked his quote, um, and I said it in the previous video, so I'm going to say it again. Uh, you need to get busy with the present, not the past or the future. He said, here and now is what counts. And I thought that was really important for everybody here. Um, and just help you live a better life in general. In general. Yep. Yeah. And then he shouted out, so let's get to work. And it's like, oh, easy. <laughs> yeah, Walter, I know. Like, <laughs> calm no, down. No. Yeah, he's got he's to get on the road. Um Man, so how? I wonder how much he travels. He doesn't anymore. Oh, okay. He stopped doing that when he got to be 94. Yeah. yeah. Got to draw the line someplace. But I mean, like, is he uh, the guy, like, the most elite status frequent flyer miles wise? Or, you know, is he just like the regional rep where it's like, okay. like, I remember selling to your grandfather. How do you call in sick if, like, this guy's your boss? Uh, I'm just not feeling Really? Mm. You're yeah. not feeling good. <clears throat> maybe okay. that's maybe that's why they moved him into sales management. <laughs> just like he's literally heard every excuse. Yeah. Just I'm on my third knee replacement. <laughs> Get back out there. <laughs> All right. Well, before we move on to in case you missed it, we have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eaters household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. And we're back with In Case You Missed It and teaching ourselves a little bit about Insure. Yeah, In <laughs> Case uh, Jeff Missed Insure. That's what the next segment is about. <laughs> I did not know what Insure was. Anna was filling me in. Evidently, it's a miracle in a can, I guess. Well, I know. you know, while you're retired and you got all this time to yourself, just mm-hmm. you cracking cans I want to be like... The uh, grandpa and grumpier old man where he talks about he eats bacon three days, three yeah. times a day and oh, yeah. drinks beer just for supper. Yeah. Well, but honestly, Jeff, this has 16 grams of protein in one serving. So it might be so something bacon. to so you consider. Might, you could pair it with bacon. Bacon in high life. That's protein. my retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> like a duck shaped ice fishing. Uh, sure. Okay. Sure. All right. <clears throat> Well, I'll start uh, with in case you missed it. Uh, the stories that maybe weren't as popular on the website, but still could make an impact on the industry going forward. Uh, mine was actually, it was still kind of popular on the website. And I'm not surprised because it's about a huge thermos that's going to help heat homes this winter. So the Russian war in Ukraine has many countries concerned about energy storage and where their energy is going to come from, period, after it dries up. So the Germans made a huge thermos that will help heat up homes this winter if Russian gas supplies run out. It's almost 150 feet tall and holds 14.8 million gallons of water. Vattenfall, which is the utility company, unveiled the new facility two weeks ago. It's going to hold water brought to almost boiling temp using electricity generated by solar and wind power plants across the country. The facility is described as a giant battery, but instead of storing energy or electricity, it stores heat. It costs about $52 million to build and will have a thermal capacity of 200 megawatts. Now, 
while that will meet most of the country's hot water needs during the summer, only going to meet about 10% of the winter demand. So hopefully, you know, they figure something out for the other 90. Um, the giant tank can keep water hot for up to 13 hours, which helps bridge the gap when wind or solar power generation are down. I just found this to be an interesting concept that's uh, typically when we cover a story like this, it is on the uh, the pilot plant level or the, uh, you know, it's a project, an R&D project at a university level where it's like, oh, it's the size of a coffee can now. But if we scale it to about 14.8 mil- 14. million gallons, it should work. And they actually built it. And it just, I, I don't know. I thought it was really cool. And hopefully it works out. So does this like, I'm not quite, I guess, connecting the dots here. Does this like replace the need for a water heater in someone's I home? Think, yeah. Well, no, I think because they won't have the gas to heat the water in their home, this will provide, oh, okay. you know, it's almost like a, a water tower, a hot water tower. Okay. All right. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah. And it seems really odd. Like, oh, okay. What an interesting thing that one person will do, but they're already planning to build a bigger one in the Netherlands. So this is, I'm assuming like they build this in a community type yeah. area where everybody can source from this as they need it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, interesting uh, idea. No, it's, uh, you know, it reminded me of that Renewell story that we did, yeah. um, the mechanical battery. Um, but it also can use uh, other sources of heat. So they've also talked about heating it with uh, heat extracted from wastewater. And uh, just some really interesting things that we normally see in like an R&D pilot project level that they're actually putting into use. I mean, maybe they greenlit it a little faster because of the war. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just thought it was a really cool story. Um, Jeff, it's a little over my head from an engineering perspective, but it does sound like a, like a, like I, in theory, it seems to make sense and be a pretty cool idea Yeah, in terms, in terms of taking the pressure off of the utilities and energy usage levels and all that. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, in a couple of years, how yeah. this actually played out and 52 million, that's a big price tag. Oh like, yeah, yeah. How soon do you see the ROI on that? Or is this something again, that is the thing that leads to the thing or, yeah. or where it comes in, but it's an interesting premise. No, I agree. Like you see the price point and you think it's way too much, but I mean, if we're talking about a long, cold winter, um, you know, and this can at least provide maybe a sort of a, an emergency scenario situation where at least some people can still get hot water, you know, that could potentially save a lot of lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anna, any thoughts on the giant thermos? Yeah, I guess. I mean, if they're, you know, obviously the situation in Ukraine is horrible and devastating. And I guess this could be viewed as like one silver lining in terms of like the R&D that's coming out, solving problems that are like emergency problems and kind of uh, fast tracking some of this technology. Like you said, you feel like this is usually uh, in like a prototype uh, stage at yeah. this point, but they're just they're making it work. And yeah. Um, It's hard to segue from like the comments about the devastating war. But when Mm -hmm. you think of a thermos, guys, what is the first liquid you think of coming out of that thermos? Coffee. Is it coffee? Or soup. Actually, the very first, for whatever reason, I don't know why. But like I was thinking in grade school, like kids would bring like soup in the thermos type thing. Like that was the first thing I thought of. I I cannot imagine my kids being cool with like me packing them soup for lunch. Mm. At school, and then them like pouring. <laughs> I like, know. It was common though. I mean, yeah. remember like yeah. everybody yeah, wanted the lunch boxes with oh, the thermoses. Yeah. Like the one I remember is like the Dukes of Hazard one. Yeah, it was the first one everybody they wanted. They all came with a thermos. Yeah. None of them do now. Yeah, and really, oh, really. Yeah, they come Sad. with like they're just like bags, and then you put like um. 
Yeah. Like cliff bars in there or something. I don't know. They're, what do kids eat? <laughs> right. <laughs> what do kids eat? You throw like a handful of cliff bars in there and they get a juice box. It's going to be a water bottle, right? They've all got to fill up their water bottle. Yeah. They, well, yep. And how those like flimsy plastic cups on the top like uh, that you used. I, I was thinking more of like the industrial thermos. Actually, my brother has one that is one of those where it keeps your coffee warm for like days. Mm-hmm. We went like ice fishing and uh, in the middle of a lake and he drank the same coffee for three days and it stayed hot. I was it blew my mind. But I was thinking uh, I was thinking more hot chocolate because it was one of those where all of a sudden it would come out when you were a kid and you're just like, oh, man, <laughs> it is about to get real. I hope there are marshmallows in a pocket. Like, <laughs> in a pocket. <laughs> all right. Uh, Jeff, what's your in case you missed it this week? So this one definitely caught my eye because we have talked about this a lot as a potential solution when we talk about electric vehicles. It was a story how GM is expanding their electric vehicle first responder training efforts. So their latest, GM's latest EV first responder training program will focus primarily on personnel and fire services, providing instruction and sharing best practices on how to, mo- how to most effectively support emergency situations involving electric vehicles. We have been talking about this a lot because we've been having all these fires pop up, primarily with Teslas, but other ones as well. We talked about the added dangers when you're driving hybrid electric vehicles like you, David. Yeah. Um, And one of the things that they called out in the article that was, was really cool to see is the use of water. People immediately think electricity and water, they don't mix, you can't do it. That's the key with all of these batteries. So it's, it's really educating first and second responders. So the firefighters and then anybody else who may come along, whether it's medical personnel, the salvage yards, all of those folks to make sure they understand how to handle the electrical systems, which includes if there's a fire, dousing it with probably four times as much water as you would typically use. So I think this just, this is what we've been clamoring for. This is what Mm -hmm. needs to happen. There needs to be more of it. And it's good to see GM at least stepping up a little bit and doing some more. Just need everybody else to get on board. It's, it's kind of surprising almost that you see just one automaker. You would almost think this would be something where there would be a consolidated effort amongst all automakers to, to really get the word out there and work with everyone involved. And even though the focus obviously is on those first and second responders, the firefighters, the medical personnel, we got to need to get beyond that as well. People Mm -hmm. who are salvaging and repairing these vehicles too. So no, I, uh, I think, see, you did your part right there because right after we did the story about how you like dig a hole, put the car in it <laughs> yeah. and cover it with water, this came out. So clearly someone at GM is listening to the podcast. Clearly. Yeah. When like, you called it a- I'm an influencer. Ma- what did you call it? A mafia- A mafia grave. A mafia grave. <laughs> yeah. They heard that and they were like, we need to do something. <laughs> yeah. that's If that's what they think is out there, we need mm-hmm. a better PR effort. Yes. No, uh, Jeff, I agree with you. I saw this story and I was just- had thought the same thing finally yeah you know uh anna your thoughts on uh gm's latest effort same and i agree with jeff that uh there should be a more i don't know united consensus among automakers because why not like pool their resources and try to get this figured out they could come up with their own standard um to try because they all you know they're all sharing information on batteries so uh, mm-hmm. it can't be that different how to put out this battery fire yeah no exactly really positive pr spin mm-hmm. you can come out with like some kind of cool logo for whatever it is yeah well, and if like the people from gm and ford like the two marketing people have to like stand at opposite ends of the photo because they refuse to <laughs> share the stage then that's fine just yeah. do it that way no, David, I'd like to get your feedback on your here because it says the program will be divided into both live presentations and other training formats, including combinations of expert presentations, videos, animations, 
Yes. And virtual demonstrations. Huh. What is the first thing that comes to your mind? You say animations of electric vehicle for electric vehicles and first responders. What are you what are you seeing there? I I see well, what I see in my mind is scary for some people. <laughs> um, it's like an itchy and scratchy type video. Yeah, here. no, I'm thinking like I'm thinking like uh when OSHA makes those safety videos. And they're really over the top where it's just like, uh, this could happen if you're not cool or if you're not safe with a forklift. And then it's like a forklift going through a hard hat through like yeah. a, a dummy. Somebody. And you're just like, yeah. oh, they were. And you think they're going to like cut away because uh, maybe they'll just leave a little to the imagination. But so I, I, I predict something quite gruesome. Yes. And uh, but I mean, and effective. Yeah. But effective. <laughs> All right. What, what would it be like to be you talk about Ford, but like. Uh, to be the outlier, all these, you know, automakers start coming out with these plans and then just one company's like, you know what? We don't really see a need. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. the experts. Are they going to do that whole thing like, this is your EV. <laughs> this is your EV on fire. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> Men. I don't know, but like, uh, like some sort of VR or uh, yeah, like a VR training exercise, putting out a car fire. I mean, I'd do that. Absolutely. In like a VR I'd watch it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Anna, what is your In Case You Missed It this week? All right, I missed this story even, but I found it <clears throat> as I was digging through the site contents after our recent week off. But uh, a crewless robotic boat retracing the 1620 sea voyage of the Mayflower has landed near Plymouth Rock. What? <laughs> uh, the solar power ship's first attempt to cross the Atlantic in 2021 was beset with technical problems, so it finally was able to achieve its mission uh, I think my first question was wh why. Um, <laughs> so the Mayflower Autonomous Ship, or the MAS, is a grassroots initiative that was led by marine research nonprofit Promare with support from IBM and a global consortium of partners. So there's no human captain or crew. Um, the boat uses the power of um, artificial intelligence and automation to traverse the ocean in its quest for data and discovery. Mm. So it's kind of working in tandem with oceanographers and other vessels. Um, it's supposed to provide a flexible and cost-effective and safe option for gathering critical data from the ocean. Um, IBM says it can spend long durations at sea carrying scientific equipment and making its own decisions about how to optimize its route and mission. So for those of you wondering, it looks absolutely nothing like the Mayflower <laughs> and all the promotional shots like show it docked next to a Mayflower replica. But that's not the ship. The, the oh. ship is like this tiny little sleek. This guy, this, this little baby ship. <laughs> yeah, here. that's the thing. That is not a Mayflower. I know, but that's it, a Mayfly. It, it just it, it just ran the same route. It took it four days. So I was like, well, this is very good marketing because yeah. I also was fooled by it. But then when I started reading the story, I was like, this is actually cool because, um, you know, like they've leveraged it to kind of draw attention to the benefits. But like with all of the the vast need for data from the ocean, if we look at like pollution and climate change and how that seems to be sort of accelerating the change that's happening in that marine environment right now. I mean, there really is a lot to learn about the implications mm. of that and um, to get that information without having to put somebody at risk to go out and get it. Um, especially with, with we, you know, we've talked about all the, the intensity of the marine environment in the ocean with these uh, carrier vessels and, mm -hmm. and cargo and stuff. Um, 
it can be scary out there. Yeah. So yeah. this is, I think, designed to take the human element out of it. And it's also solar powered, which is cool. So Yeah, it's a bit more intense than the like solar powered buoys that we typically see out there gathering, passively gathering information about the ocean environment. Right, exactly. So while I do think it's a little bit disingenuous that they actually named it Mayflower Autonomous Ship because mm-hmm. it's the, nothing to the do with M-A-S. the Mayflower. Yeah. Um, it is kind of a cool concept. It's a yeah. cool concept. It's also a really cool design. And I got to say, when we when these stories came out with the cruelest robotic Mayflower Plymouth Rock story in the huge thermos, I'm like, what is happening out there right now? <laughs> Are we, I mean. Just doing, we're just trying stuff. I yeah. don't know. Well, yeah. it's not, I mean, I was thinking more like, it's not April 1st, right? Like, uh, <laughs> we we double-checked all of these, right? Yes. Um, Jeff, your thoughts on the uh, robotic Mayflower? Yeah, more data on the ocean is always positive. I was also taken in a little bit. I thought this was going to be this huge, massive ship. But it, it makes a lot more sense, obviously. I mean, because I was thinking the first thing is, what if it sees some bad weather? Mm-hmm. I mean, what would happen to this thing? But obviously, the way this one's constructed... I just skate right through it. This so, is cool design. Compare, you know, there, uh, you got to compare the two to show how far we've come technologically where we can actually do so much more with such a small autonomous vessel than this. Well, except, except all people. Yeah. Except for a totally different or application. Stuff. So it's like, yeah, why is it? <laughs> they could maybe get one at a time. <clears throat> no, there's but no. You, know, you bring up an interesting point about the container ships mm-hmm. because that oh, would yeah. be the biggest area where this could potentially have a huge immediate impact. Yeah. We can figure out how to safely navigate without, sinking ships with bunches of stuff on it that'd be really good that was my thought too and they they really talk about um the the research applications but you got to be thinking also of like how this technology could eventually be shared for those those as well well in the uh autonomous ships they can stand up to the elements more because i mean in the event that they do submerge uh momentarily or for longer periods of time you know they can yeah Mm -hmm. you know Also, worth noting, one of the more underwhelming historical landmarks in this country, Plymouth Rock. Is oh, it? Yeah? It's literally a rock. Just with a rock, like, huh? With like some ropes around it. Just yeah. there it is in Plymouth, Massachusetts. It's I mean, not really, I mean, not. I don't know what you would call out, but it's literally, yeah. you could just, we drove past it one time we were out that way. So that's just, <laughs> it's just a rock. I feel there. like, I feel like that's a lot of landmarks where you stop and you read the plaque and you just think, nice. <laughs> we just drove past it. Plymouth Rock. All right. There we go. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Got to go see that giant ball of yarn. All right. The house of mud, kids. house <laughs> of mud. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts before we get out of here. Uh, Anna, what's your final thought this week? Uh, so... We uh, we all just got back from vacation and I'm feeling it. I was like ripped out of my s- sleep. Normally, I like wake up one minute before my alarm goes off every day. Mm-hmm. And this morning, no. Uh, but my kids were so worn out that I had to wake them up this morning and they're little. So they that was like well done as mm-hmm. I know. But like when you are doing that, it is like the hardest thing to do on earth even though i'm like we have to get ready and go (laughs) it's because they're so adorable they're just like so like comfortable i know and i'm like i'm so sorry adorable slash quiet (laughs) so sorry to do this but i had to so um i guess that's a sign of a good vacation though absolutely it is but it's like you know i thought i even put in like a couple of days for that window that buffer Mm -hmm. um and then it turns out like we got back and we looked at our calendars and we had just planned way too much for Mm -hmm. that buffer uh one of the things we planned on was uh you know we did once in my wife's family went over to her dad's house and just you know how like you get together as a family and just 
kind of whatever you missed since like the last time you got together, you cram into it. So we had some father's day, we had some birthdays, stuff like that. But he had, um, he had a, he has a pool and you know, I'm a bit of a water bug and so are my kids. And we were just playing the entire time. My final thought is that sunscreen technology has still got a long way to go (laughs) because talk about being like sapped. I haven't been, I have not been badly sunburnt in a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kind of, uh, you know, I kind of blame my niece Quinn because she kept wanting to be thrown and she wanted like piggyback rides and she was climbing all over me. And so I'm like, Oh, she took it all off. She scraped all the sunscreen off? She scraped all the sunscreen (laughs) off of me. But uh, it was one of those where, like, I just opened up my eyes this morning and kind of turned. I'm like, oh, that should not feel that way. (laughs) It's just, like, where you feel like everything is really tight and creasing and, like, maybe splitting, but maybe it just feels that way. You have to reapply, David. Apparently, well, and it was, uh, I even, um, it was my son's first uh, sunburn, and you feel so bad because... We reapplied everywhere, but he's got these like kind of red raccoon eyes going on. Oh, yeah. Like from the the reflection of the water, however you get it. But it's like, okay, so we got everywhere except right there. And it looks kind of cool, but he's just like, you know, he's looking at the mirror like, what's this? Just like, that is a sunburn. That's why every time we fight you for sunscreen, this is what we're trying to prevent. But yeah, so uh, final thought was that it was a great week off, but sunscreen people manufacturers please continue to keep the benzene out of it <laughs> work harder to do that and you know make it more effective yeah i got because obviously i'm not in the water with my kids anymore they get on their paddleboard or kayak and they're gone mm-hmm. so i'm sitting on the beach and i didn't put sunscreen on the tops of my feet oh which yeah. were just like white as snow and <laughs> so just trying to put socks on the last couple of days has been an adventure yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I guess my final thought, no new trivia. We're going to let the same trivia from last week um, just kind of percolate a little bit more. So we want okay. to give some more T-shirts. Just to refresh, the trivia question was, what are the three things you can do or should do to make sure your campfire is completely out? There's three steps or actions that you should take. So let us know. My final thought is all the stuff we've been talking about in terms of market factors and inflation and all that, I think I realized every one of those on our vacation. Oh, yeah. We went on a bit of a road trip. We went up north and getting there and the beach we were at did not quite work out. So mm-hmm. we had to do some driving. Definitely felt the gas prices. Yeah. Um, we went out to eat a couple more times. Definitely saw the food prices mm-hmm. um, escalate. And then we were looking to, for those who are familiar with Door County, there's a ferry that goes out to some islands oh, yeah. out on the peninsula yeah. and stuff. And the cost of this ferry has definitely increased. Oh, no. Which has to be a, some sort of relation to, to fuel, you, yeah. would, you would guess. Mm-hmm. So all of those things definitely were felt, you know, as we were planning and doing stuff on the week that we were gone. So, yeah, not just talking about it, but seeing it in real Living life, it. too. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those where when I got home, gas had gone down to 420. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, where were you on Monday? Like, uh, <laughs> Well, that was the other thing. Actually, my car was in the shop while we were gone. And they called me a couple times because first they couldn't find the part. Whoa. Then they found the part, but it was the wrong one. So then they had to get the other part and it cost more to fix. I mean, just everything that we've been talking about mm-hmm. with supply chain and inflation and all that. So Right. Dis- Fun stuff. Despite the gross expense <laughs> to us both mentally, physically, and financially, it was a good week off. It's a great week off. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get out of here, 
Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our weekly and daily newsletters. Make sure you get the podcast delivered to your inbox first. All right, for Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.